Let's thank the Lord for our worship team today, you guys. What a blessing. What a blessing. Feel free to have a seat. My name is Marcus, one of the pastors here on staff at NVC. It's great to see everybody today. Thanks for joining us here. Those online as well, thank you for joining us. We appreciate you guys tuning in. Well, it's a, it's a great week, right? This is a... This is a, a week I think a lot of us look forward to all year long, right, the Thanksgiving week. Uh, let me hear it for those of you guys who are out of school for a while. All right, super excited. Well, just go to school then if you're not excited, right? <laughs> we'll be out of school. Uh, we got some good food coming. Uh, Thanksgiving's right around the corner. Uh, let me see. Raise your hands uh, if um, the turkey is your favorite part of Thanksgiving. Let me see. Okay, all right, good. Uh, the, the cranberry sauce, okay, great. But you were ready. You were like, I, I can't wait till he says cranberry sauce. You were ready to go. The stuffing, who's the stuffing people here? All right, great. Uh, the, the, the pumpkin pie? Okay, good. We got lots of pumpkin pies. You guys get your pumpkin pies at Costco? Right. You don't? Oh, you make them? Oh, oh my. I've never had pumpkin pie from like... I didn't know they came from pumpkins. I, got, I thought they came from Costco. <laughs> Apparently they come from pumpkins. Okay, what about this one? The favorite thing about Thanksgiving, naps. Anybody? Okay, that's my personal favorite. Uh, I love all the food, the hanging out, the family, the naps. I, I also love the, all the sports going on as well. Uh, yesterday was a great day for college football. Uh, I'm a big college football fan, especially this time of year when... Um, they start figuring out who's going to go to the championship series. Um, and I was watching some of the UCLA-USC game yesterday, high-scoring game, super excited. USC won. Um, they're still in the playoff contention. And it reminded me when I was watching UCLA and USC, I got to play both of them when I, when I played college football. I got to play college football at San Diego State. Uh, great, great memories for me. Uh, huge, huge blessing. Uh, paid for my school. I got great experiences. Got to travel to Hawaii, play in Hawaii. Got to play against the number one team in the nation at the time, which was the University of Miami. Uh, got to play with the Hall of Famer, Marshall Falk. I got to play against Heisman Trophy winners. And it was just a real great experience as a young man, like dreaming of doing that. And I remember my freshman year, my freshman year was 17 years old going to San Diego State playing college football, and I was skinny, I was uh, a weak, right, and, and somehow I got there in my freshman year, and I remember the first game playing up at Oregon, I made the traveling squad as a freshman, right, I was super, super excited, and that was the days when you had tickets to airlines, like you would go on a plane and you would get actual, like, physical tickets, right, remember those days, and then if you lost a ticket, you lost your ticket. Right? And I remember I was so nervous. I had my traveling gear on and, and using the bathroom and going. And I was coming. And, and then I'd lost my ticket. I'm like, oh, my gosh. My first time ever traveling. I lost my ticket running around. Found my ticket. Get on the plane. We land in Oregon. Right? So we were playing the Oregon Ducks. Like my, my first game of Pac-10 school. Um, I was in a conference called the WAC. And if you play in a conference called the WAC, you know it's not that good because it's WAC. Right? So anyways, we were playing a Pac-10 school at the time, and, and I remember being there, and, and, and Oregon's across the way, and I can't believe it, right? We're playing Oregon. That, and, and then I remember uh, from the stands, hey, 41, right? And I turned around, your team's horrible, right? Because they were beating us. I'm like, well, 
Yeah, he's got, that kind of has a point there, I guess. And he goes, and you're not even good enough to play for them. Like, oh, wow, I appreciate it. Thank you. Sad thing, that was my dad. That was my dad up there telling me that, which was really, I mean, I was really surprised. <laughs> and then the season goes on. I didn't play at all. And then we finally play against Air Force, and I play a little bit, play the fourth quarter. And then we play Wyoming, the next uh, game uh, in Wyoming, 52-52 uh, tie. But I played the second half. And then the next game was UCLA. The next game was UCLA. And I was like, okay, this is UCLA, right? Um, the, the, the gold helmets, the cheerleaders, the Rose Bowl. And I got to start that game as a true freshman against UCLA in the Rose Bowl. And I walk out and there's like, I don't know, 70,000 people there. And it was such a surreal moment, right? Such a surreal moment because this is very, very unlikely, right, that I would be in this situation, right? Some Panamanian kid that grew up in North Carolina and, and now a freshman just turned 18 years old walking out the Rose Bowl. And, and, and I remember, man, what a dream. And man, if we can just beat these guys, what a story I would have. Right, if we could just beat these guys and we go out there and I, I'm playing well and it's UCLA and by halftime, I'm still kind of in a daze because this is not high school anymore. This isn't Dos Pueblos, right, where I went to. This is UCLA. And then I remember halftime kind of like still being in an odd funk. And then I hear this as we're walking through the crowd or walking back to our locker rooms, I hear the, 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 the crowd erupt like a wave of just screaming and yelling. Like, what's going on? And I look up as if it's not odd enough, right? 70,000 cheerleaders, ABC, I'm playing just really, it's an odd situation, so unlikely. And I look up, and there's a naked guy in front of me streaking. As a football player, your instincts are to tackle people, not when they're completely naked. So we play UCLA, and like, the most unlikely, and... Man, if we could just win, and I remember at the end of the game, just looking up at that scoreboard and seeing, and they destroyed us. I thought we would win, but we didn't. What an unlikely scenario, but what was supposed to happen, happened, which was those big UCLA All-Americans kicked my butt, right? But today we're going to be looking at a, a, a life that's way different. We're going to be looking at the life of David, who was an unlikely king, right? David was an unlikely king, and he was an unlikely king for a, a, a good reason. And so David, as we hear of King David today, many things come to our mind. Can I hear amen? Right, as we hear of King David today, right, the statue, the city of Jerusalem, which are, you know, some of the great accomplishments and also some of the, the well-documented failures in his life. But, but David was a really unlikely king. And, and I, one of the things I love about David is a real kind of microcosm of, of how God works. And God works in many unlikely ways. Right? We see David the great, but really it was very odd for David to be who he was and for David to accomplish the things that he did. Here are some of the unlikely things about David. One, he came from a questionable lineage, right? We can just stay in on, on the, the, the last slide. We'll get to that one in a second. He came from an un, un, uh, uh, unlikely lineage. If we remember last week or the series that we've had, we had Ruth 
and we had Boaz, right? So, so Boaz was a Jew, right? But when he married Ruth, she was not. So those were David's grandparents, so his lineage wasn't pure. And in those days, it was very, very important, especially to the Jewish people, right, for you to remain with the Jewish people. So his own lineage was likely. And anybody here, uh, just, just in your mind, kind of like, well, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really, my family lineage is kind of, hmm, yeah. right? Yep. Wow, my grandma, everybody has a crazy aunt. I have a crazy aunt. She's crazy, but she can cook. So, like, it, it balances the crazy, That's right? right? Um, and you reflect on your family and go, wow, this is where I came from? Also, he was too young. He was not qualified. As we'll get into the story, he was anointed as a king at a very, very young age. He wasn't qualified. You ever find yourself in a spot where you go, oh, man, this is a bit much for me. And, man, God, is this is what you're calling me to do? I, I, I'm not sure I can do this. Um... There was times in his life, a lot of times in his life, where David, King David, was just trying to survive. Literally, like hanging out in caves, hoping he would not die. Like running for his life. Does that register maybe with any of us in some capacity where sometimes in life you're just like holding on to God's ankle, like just trying to get by? Another thing, uh, huge, huge documented, documented mistakes in the, in the life of David. Yep. Huge documented mistakes. Mistakes that I'm sure he thought, does this cancel me? Is, is this the end of my opportunity to be a servant of God? Have you ever found yourself in that spot? Yep. Perhaps where after a mistake you're like, oh, man, this is a big one. I, I'm not sure I can overcome this one. Well, David was there. Major, major family drama. Major family drama. His son, his third son, tried to overtake him. Uh, we're talking murder. We're talking lies, deceit, incest. I mean, drama in the family. And yet, this is King David. An unlikely king, but so good that we have a God, right, that has a story that isn't the narrative that the world wants, that isn't the narrative that we would expect, right, which is the great people doing great things, the perfect people doing perfect things. The story of, Bi of the Bible and God's word is amazing. It's this perfect God executing his perfect plan with imperfect people. Wow. Oh, good. So the story of David brings me a lot of hope. And my hope today is that indeed it will bring everybody here today hope. So let's take a look at, before we start diving into the message, let's take a look at a, a span of King David's life, right? So let's go to this next slide. And, and I, I, there's all these stories of David, right? And it's hard to kind of understand where they lie. We know he did this, we did that. So just going to go over this real quick. Uh, King David, all right, he was born uh, to Jesse who was from the tribe of Judah, and his grandparents, as we know, were Ruth and Boaz. As a young man, he was anointed by Samuel. He was anointed king by Samuel as a young man. Wow, Israel had a king, so that's kind of awkward. Are you with me? 
There's the king, the first king, and yet he, as a young teenager, anointed king, right? Then we see in his life during that young, young age, killing Goliath. He made, uh, he was made king over Judah at 30 years old. He was made king over Israel as well at around 37. He made plans to build a temple later on. He marries Bathsheba. Solomon's born. Uh, his third son, Absalom, planned a rebellion. He died at the age of 70. If we go to the next one. He died at the age of 70. So he, he reigned for 40 years. So just to kind of give us a scope of David's life. Today we're going to take a look at David's life and try to draw three lessons from his life. So we're not going to stick on one story. We're going to kind of take an overview like a survey of his life and draw out some lessons. So we're going to look at three lessons from his life. I'm also going to be asking three rhetorical questions with each lesson. Can I hear amen? amen. Great. So the first, first story that we're going to be drawing from is a story found in 1 Samuel 17, 32 through 37. We know this story, maybe one of the world's greatest stories ever. And David was sent to the field with this huge Philistine, was mocking, and he was threatening God's people. His brothers are there, and here David, a young shepherd, is sent to take food and sustenance to his brothers. And along the way, he gets there, and he sees what's going on in this battle, and he sees this, this giant, right? Uh, the Bible places him around 10 feet. Just to give you an idea, timeline of history, it's, we're about 1,000 B.C. here. You guys following me? Right, right around 1,000 years before the birth of Christ is, is when all this is happening. And so now this huge Philistine, this giant around 10 feet tall, is mocking, right, and, 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 and going after God's people. David gets there. He sees that, and, and Goliath wants to make a deal with the people, right? Instead of us going to war, why don't you? Because what would happen is they'd go to war, uh, and then they conquer, and then they destroy lands and everything. So Goliath says, look, 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 look. Let's cut the middleman. Why don't you find one person of your people to come battle me? So instead of all this bloodshed and destruction, and we know the inevitable what's going to happen anyways, we're going to destroy you. I'm one man. You send your best man to me, and, and, and we will fight to the death. And whoever wins gets the armies and gets the land. Well, as you can imagine, and we know the story goes, nobody was prepared to battle that giant. Nobody was prepared to have that battle. So David gets there and he hears this giant talking smack against God's people, right? And this is his response to the king Saul, who was the first king of the people of Israel. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. 
But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion and a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from his mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Before I read the last how his response, I love what happens here. David starts talking, look, my God is bigger. My God. And this chump, Philistine, uncircumcised, you know what I've done? You know what the Lord has blessed me to do? Give these animals and take them apart. And he starts going to the whole story. And I love Saul's response here. Saul said to David, well, go and the Lord be with you. you go. Like, okay, okay. I love how you pointed out that he was uncircumcised as well. It reminds me of a story my, my wife was having a little, she was reading the Bible with my son Marco. This is probably, I don't know, seven, eight years ago. So Marco was probably, I don't know, eight, nine, and was reading through it. And the word circumcision came up, how we should be circumcised. I should have been circumcised and just, you know. And, and Marco looks to his mom and goes, Mom. Are you circumcised? <laughs> circumcision of the heart, son. Circumcision of the heart. So the first point I want to draw out from, from the life of David is we should be hungry. We should be hungry for the things of God. Can I hear amen? Right? David was like, look, I, 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 I want the Lord. I want to defend the Lord. I want the things of God to succeed. And, 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 and so we're going to kind of look, like, look at the scope of his life. And as a young man to a middle man, middle-aged man to an older man, kind of draw out something at each season. And especially when you're young. And I love, one of the things I love about this church are the hungry youth we have here. Right? We have some youth that model this. They're hungry for the things of God. They are willing to put themselves on the line. They are willing to serve. They are willing to just go into battles. And I love that. And not that we shouldn't be hungry all our lives. I'm just pointing out early on that David was hungry. We should be hungry for the things of God. And that hunger indeed stayed with the Lord all of his life. Let's take a look at this verse in Matthew 5, 6 says this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Also, Psalm 34, 8, it's not up there. I'll just read it. It says this. I love this verse. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Taste and see. When you get that Thanksgiving meal right around the corner, one thing is to observe it. One thing is to look at it. One thing is to smell it. Right? But another thing is to taste and see that that meal is good. What a shame it would be if all day long that meal was prepared. The turkey, the stuffing, the cranberry, the pumpkin pie homemade. Right? All of it. And you saw it and you were hungry all day long and you smelt it. And by the time they delivered it to you on the table, 
you know what? You, you just had a glass of water and maybe some um, Cheerios or a Vegemite sandwich. What a shame that would be if you didn't taste and see that that food was good. And yet sometimes it's like that in our lives when we have such a good God that wants great things for us, that has prepared victory for us, that has prepared peace and love and all the fruits of the Spirit for us, that, is, that, is, that is, grants us forgiveness and love and peace, and yet we don't taste and see that it's good because we're not hungry enough for the things of God. Let's learn from David to be hungry for the things of God. And that hunger that he had for the Lord helped him accomplish some amazing things. He killed bears and lions as a young man. He slayed Goliath. He drove away spirits as a musician. He was a very, very talented musician. He was a legendary warrior. Legendary warrior. We can't get into it. You could do a, a, a four-week series just as David as a warrior. He was a pro prolific writer. Prolific writer. Sensitive man. Right? They could share his emotions. They could share his feelings. Right? He unified the people of Israel, the first king to unify them. He conquered Jerusalem. That was a city that, that was from the Jesubites. He conquered that. All these along his life, he stayed hungry for the things of God. And he tasted and he saw that the Lord is good. So I would encourage us here today. To make sure that we taste and see that the Lord is good and that we would have a hunger for righteousness. That we would have a thirst for righteousness. That we would have a hunger and thirst for the things of God. And not take the fake things that this world has to offer. Not take those things that are secondary that this world has to offer. But because of our hunger and our desire for the Lord, that we would have a history of great things along the way, all pointing to God's goodness. Right? We should be hungry because God is good. Can I hear amen? Great. So, so, so my rhetorical question as we move on to the next point, is this. How can we be hungrier for the things of God? Take 10 seconds and dwell on that. How can we be hungrier for the things of God in our life? Next story we're going to draw from David's life is when David, and this is found in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Let me set this up. David is in his palace, his luxurious palace. He's king now, and he's got a great spot. But, but he wanted something for the Lord as well. So he wanted to go well, and he spoke to the Lord saying, Far be it for me to have this beautiful, beautiful place, and yet... We don't have anything to store your ark. We don't have a palace. We don't have a, a, a temple for you. So David wanted to honor the Lord with a temple, especially since he was living as a king. So let's take a listen to God's response to David. 
when that was his desire. This is God's response saying, and I will provide a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will no longer oppress them anymore, as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people of Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So this was God's response. It's not time for you to build this palace for me. It's not time for you to build this temple for me. But indeed, I'm doing something for you and your people. I'm going to, through your son, to continue this lineage, right, of my people forever. But that response stemmed from David wanting to honor the Lord. So our next point we're going to put here is live honoring. First one is be hungry. Everybody say be hungry. Everybody say be hungry. Right? We should also, also live honoring. We should honor the Lord in the things that we do. We should know that God is worthy to be praised. And the reason we should honor God is because God is the king. We should be hungry because God is good. We should live honoring because he is a king. And kings are worthy to be honored. Let's take a look at this quick verse in 1 Samuel 2 verse 30 says this, therefore the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promise that the members of your family would minister before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me will be disdained. So we see here God's flow, God's plan. If you honor him, you will be honored. Those that don't honor him, well, they have a different future. David honored God in so many ways. Uh, uh, As we mentioned earlier, he's a prolific writer. He wrote over 70 psalms, so 73 of the psalms are accredited to David. This great warrior always found opportunities to honor the Lord. So keep in mind that we serve a God and we serve a king. One of Jesus' titles was the king of kings. And kings and royalty are to be honored. Right? And we see that in David's life of going, how can I put God first in my life? How could I honor the Lord with the things that I have? How can I write How can I live? How can I do things for God's glory? Because he wanted God to have all the honor and he wanted God to have all the praise. 
rhetorical question that goes with that. How can we honor God more in our life? So you could just take 15 seconds, kind of reflect in your life, how can you honor this king more? So the last story we're going to take a look at as David learns to be hungry and remains hungry all his life, as through those experiences he wants to honor God with all the things he has. Well, through life, you're going to notice that there's going to be times you fall short. Through life, you're going to notice there's going to be times that you make some mistakes. And that's where we pick up the story of David here, where David fell short as a king, as a son of God, by having an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. We know the story. Seeing her acting upon that lust, impregnating her, then sending her husband to the front lines of the war, hoping indeed that that would kill him, and sure did. Right? So now David is guilty of adultery, he's, a guilty, he's guilty of murder, and what a spot he found himself in. There's times in your life where you're probably going to be in a spot not with these details, but maybe in a spot in your life where you're going, oh, man, I can't believe I find myself here right now. But one of the great things we see in David's life is that he surrounded himself with godly people. And such an important thing for us to be surrounded by godly people because depending on the people he was with, they might have just responded a whole different way, maybe even celebrating this sin. Maybe even giving him high fives. Maybe even giving him attaboys. Confirming with him how beautiful Bathsheba is and how lucky he is to have her. And what a strategic thing it was for him as a king right, to, to, to have him murdered essentially. No, but he had godly people around him, and Nathan came to him, and he told him this great story of this, of this, of this man that had all these sheep. And yet he saw one man with one sheep, and David's listening to this story. And he said that this one man that had all these sheep went to the one sheep that this man loved, the other guy, the only one he had, and he took that sheep and he stole that sheep from him. And I'm sure David, as he's hearing this, thinks it's somebody in his kingdom. And Nathan goes to him, how should we respond? And David's response was, this guy surely must surely die. And Nathan tells him, yo, David, that's you. That's you. This is where we pick up this story. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die, but because by doing this you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the, Lord, uh, the son born to you 
will die. So we see immediately, immediately, when he realizes it, he repents. But yet there's still repercussions for that sin, that behavior. Our third point today is remain humble. Why should we remain humble? We should be hungry because God is good. Taste and see that he's good. We should live honoring because God is the king. And we should remain humble because God is the hero. When you understand in your life that God is the hero, I want you to follow me here, then it's a lot easier for you to understand that you are not. And then if God is the hero and you are not the hero, it's a lot easier to remain humble. Can I hear amen? Right? It's a lot easier for you to realize that you are sinful, that you are imperfect, and it's not on you to be the hero. See, if I were the hero of my story, I don't want anybody to know of my imperfections. If I'm the hero of the story, then I need to have this narrative, I need to have this facade, I need to have this brand, right, that I'm the good one, that I'm the hero, that I'm the one you can come to, but I am not the hero. God is the hero. So Nathan approaches him, and, and, and friends... What a great example, too, as a side note, right? To be willing to tell your friend the truth. To be willing to go to your friend and say, hey, this is not right. But David immediately repents, and David is humble. David is humble. And right away that verse tells us, right, that he was forgiven. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing, God's forgiveness in our life. Oh, that's great. But you also notice that there was going to be repercussions for his sin. Just because we're forgiven, right, it doesn't mean there's not repercussions for our behavior. Another one of the reasons I love to avoid sin is not only because it pleases God, but often because I don't want to deal with the consequences of sin because they are severe. And here, David, here is that story Right? And, and, and he is so eager to this guy must die. And isn't that in our lives when it's so easy for us to point out the sin in other people's lives? So easy to point to someone else and go, look at them being wrong, look at them being wrong. When indeed, it should be us looking at ourselves going, how could I be different? David repents. David says, I'm sorry. He goes and he turns his life the other way, and he's forgiven. But he understands that he is the he, that God is the hero of the story. Here's some highlights of the Bible. And in every story of the Bible, there's one hero, and it's not David. There's one hero, and it's not Moses. There's one hero, and it's not Noah. There's one hero, and it's not Jonah. There's one hero, and it's not Daniel. All of these stories that we classify as heroes of the Bible, when you really get down to it, you guys, there's one hero. That is God. Listen to these stories. Creation, who's the hero? 
The story of Joseph. Who's the hero? God. The story of Moses. God. The parting of the Red Sea. God. Jericho Falls. God. Samson's redemption. God. David and Goliath. God. Elijah's challenge and he fire consumes the altar. It's God. Daniel and the lion's den. It's God. Jonah. It's God. Turning the water into wine. It's God. Feeding the 5,000. It's God. Raising Lazarus from the dead. It's God. The resurrection. It's God's the hero. In all of these stories, God is the hero. And for us to understand that he's the hero, we need to understand that we are not. And that requires humility. Let's take a look at this verse in James 4, 6. says this. But he gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. What side of that docket do we want to be on? Do we want to be opposed by God? Or do we want God to show us favor? Well, by maintaining humility, we put ourselves in a good spot. Through the life of David, we see that we need to be hungry because God is good. We see that we need to live honoring because God is the king. And we see here that we need to be humble, remain humble, because God is the hero. And if we could take those elements in our life and apply them, I think we'll be in a really good spot. David realized that God is the hero. And God wants to be the hero still today in your life. So I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know what your experiences are. I don't know where you are spiritually, but God wants to be your hero. And the great opportunity just to understand that, to trust him in that, to make a decision to say, God, you know what, I'm fallible. I fall short. I'm imperfect. But I want to be hungry for you. Right? I want to live a life honoring you. And I want to be humble. Take those things, apply them to our lives, right? And uh, he'll put us on a wonderful path. My last rhetorical question as we close up. How can we be more humble in our lives? And maybe there's something today that you need to do. To go, wow. I want to be hungry. I want to live honoring and I want to be humble. If he's tugging at your heart in any of those areas or all three, I want to encourage you, don't hesitate. Just like David responded right away. Right? He asked for forgiveness, that we wouldn't wait when we hear God speak to us, that we wouldn't wait when we feel God nudge us, that we would respond today and take these lessons from an unlikely king 
that he could, we could live an unlikely life of victory. Why don't we close up in prayer as we take this time to get into communion? Lord, I thank you so much for the example of David's life that you've given us. I thank you so much, Lord Jesus, that you are a God that's worthy to be praised, Lord. I thank you so much, Lord Jesus, that this story of David, that we can see ourselves, but more importantly, see you, Lord. And I pray, Lord Jesus, as we enter to this time of reflection, of communion, Lord, that we would focus on these elements of our lives and draw close to you. In Jesus' name we pray.